Welcome back to the podcast, y'all. I'm Adrielle, and I have something good to share with you today. And first of all, I just want to say I'm so excited to be back on the podcast. I feel like, oh my gosh, like this is my baby, y'all. This is my baby. I got so excited when I was like, okay, it's time to go actually record. I was just getting so excited. Like, this is everything to me, this platform. I absolutely love doing this. This is definitely a passion of mine. But yeah, so I have something good to share with y'all today. Um, So I had a dream not too long ago. When was this actually? I think this was, this was last week. I want to say maybe even over the weekend. This happened on Saturday. It was, I had, I had a dream a few days ago and it was me and my family, me and my husband and my children. And we were getting out of our vehicle. And as we were leaving, it was also a friend of mine who was with us. And as we were all going inside of, I believe we were going to the mall, um, there was a restaurant outside of the mall right so I seen my mother leaving the restaurant and I was calling her name because it seemed like she was getting into a little fight with one of the workers there so I was like ma you all right ma you okay and she wouldn't answer me it was as if I, I wasn't there at all But she did take notice of my friend who was actually walking behind me. And she came over to my friend and she was like, what did you eat today? What did y'all eat today? And I was like, mom, what are you talking about? She's like, what did you eat today? What do you, (laughs) what did you eat today? I'm like, mom, why are you yelling at us? Asking us what we ate today? Like what, (laughs) what is going on with you? And I woke up from the dream because she had, she was talking to my friend at first and she kept asking the same question over and over and over. And then she, for some, I don't even know how this happened, but it was like some type of crazy ability for her to be able to um, be at one place. And then instantaneously she ends up somewhere else. So she was talking to my friend and then instantly after she had asked my friend about four or five times what she ate today, she came up in my ear and she's like, what did you eat today? And she scared me so bad that I woke up out of the dream. And I told her about the dream and she was like, girl, what was going on? Like, what? <laughs> why was I asking you what you ate, girl? I was like, ma, I don't know, but I'm telling you that was the only thing you were worried about. And (laughs) I'm trying to find meaning meaning to the dream myself. And she was like, man, baby, that might actually be the title of your next podcast. I was like, you know what? It just might be. Because when I woke up out of the dream, for some reason, I was thinking to myself like, hmm, I wonder if I can take this as a title and and work with it on the podcast. And so then my mom said the same thing. And I'm like, man, I got to definitely make a podcast about this title. What did you eat today? So today's title for the message is what did you eat to feed your faith today? What did you eat to feed your faith today? And like I said, this is really good. Um, 
God is so intentional. I love the way he works. I love how when he tells me to do something and I'll be like, nah, God, I kind of just want to start here. And he'll be like, "Mm -mm, you got to start from here because if you start from here, then you're going to get the full gist of what I'm trying to teach you. So I was actually going to, I've been into David recently. The story of David, just his processing of how he went from being a shepherd boy to becoming king. And I know that that transition for him was a very difficult transition. David wasn't anointed to be king one day and then the next day he ends up king. He had to go through a lot. And I wanted to always hear people talk about the story of David. I've even read, you know, the story of David in the past. But for some reason, at the time that I am in at my life right now, I feel as though me rereading the story of David, and I mean from like the very beginning, and just really following his process on how God used him and the things that he had to go through to get to the throne. And although today I'm not going to be talking about David, this is what prompted the verses that I have to give you today. So I was I sat down um, one day this past weekend. um, I want to say this was Saturday night and I opened up my Bible. This was like around 10 p.m. I opened up my Bible and I was like, God, I'm ready to get in on David. Give me everything that you got on David, because I really need to know this boy's, this, this guy's, I really need to know this man's history. I really need to know about his process because I feel like it can connect with my life. So he was like, well, you need to start from the beginning of first Samuel. And I was like, well, Lord, I, I kind of just want to start at the, the 16th chapter, you know, once David steps onto the scene, um, because I'm I'm so interested to get down to the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, who David was. And he was like, well, if you really want to do that, you got to start at the very beginning, even before Samuel was born. So of course I listened to the Lord, um, because once he tells me something once and I don't listen to him right away and he brings it up again, you got to take notice of it. Right. So with this title today, y'all, I wasn't actually set in stone on this being my title I actually wasn't sure what the heck I would even talk about so with God telling me to go to this place in the Bible and I was trying to you know get ahead of God (laughs) it's just so intentional how he works and I love it so if we go to first Samuel chapter one verse one hold on let me get there it's going over the family of Elkanah which was Samuel's dad um, so Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. And now Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Elkanah would go up from his city on a yearly basis to worship and sacrifice to God. And he would also bring his wives. And then obviously Hannah had no children at this time, but Peninnah had children. So he would also bring, you know, the sons that he had with Peninnah and the daughters that he had with her. And they would, you know, sacrifice to the Lord, right? This was a very disturbing experience for Hannah. Going up to sacrifice to the Lord year after year, watching Peninnah's children sacrifice to the Lord and Hannah had no children. Not only did this make her feel like she wasn't worth anything, 
But Panina, Elkanah's other wife, would taunt Hannah. And the Bible says, Hannah's rival, which was Panina, also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that that she provoked her. And therefore, Hannah wept and did not eat. Within that first paragraph, that last sentence right there is what really caught my attention. The enemy comes in the form of negativity, offense, opinion, exclusion, depression, and distraction to severely provoke us and make us miserable because of something we either lack or something that we feel as though we're not doing a good enough job at. He makes us question whether or not God is truly with us especially in the times of being in seasons of wilderness. And many times we are provoked right before we enter the house of the Lord. Right before we try to open up our mouths to pray or try to actually reach out to someone and find some type of encouragement. He loves to provoke us when he knows that we are hungry, that our souls are hungry and yearning for something. I mean, it's like, it just, he just comes. He knows exactly where to hit us at. Right before we decide to shoot our shot or right before we try to be positive about something that's scary or something that's disheartening. And so in verse eight, it says that then Elkanah, Her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? And see, this is the thing. We want to try. We want to have faith. We want to believe everything that God has said to us. But because the enemy is so cunning, because he's so provoking, we weep and we do not eat. We do not eat of the things, the blessings, the favor, the grace that God has provided for us on his plate. And because we do not eat, we fall asleep because without food, you have no energy you're 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 sluggish you go to sleep and when we fall asleep the enemy comes in and continues to keep us in that same trap where we will not come to god where we will not trust in the lord where we will not believe in what he's told us even in the form of prophecies or in the form of just spiritual revelation that god gives us personally we come to this place where none of that seems true where none of that seems worth it. We feel as though God's voice has no power over the situation that we're in. Well, God surely can't understand what I'm going through. And he surely can't be with me because if he was with me, this wouldn't be happening. I used to say the same thing. 
That's why I didn't come to God when I was depressed. Because I said, well, Lord, if you love me, you wouldn't have me going through this. Because, you know, a good father wouldn't just turn their back on their kid when their kid is suffering. And see, I saw it all wrong. I was just in a time of wilderness. That's all. It's not that God had turned his back on me. It's that I was in a time of deep preparation for doing exactly what I do today. For preaching the word of God, something that would have only been possible through the wilderness, because I wouldn't have been able to relate to any of you who go through depression, who fight anxiety on a daily basis, who are scared to step out and, you know, get out of their comfort zone. I wouldn't have been able to relate. Believers go through things because we have to be able to relate to the to, to the people of God. And we have to grow. We have to develop. I am much stronger of a woman today than I was three years ago because of the times in the wilderness, right? So I found that so revelatory that Hannah would go up to the tabernacle and sacrifice to the Lord. But because she was so downhearted by what she didn't have, all she could do was weep and not eat. So much that her husband even had to ask her, well, baby, why are you crying? Why are you crying when you know that I'm worth much more to you than having 10 sons? Not just one, but having 10 sons. I'm, I'm of much better worth to you. Am I not? That question right there, the question that he asked her, And remember, y'all, we talked about questions and how they're so powerful. That question that he asked her allowed her, her brain to look for the answer. Like, well, hmm, am I weeping over the wrong thing? Like, should I really be focusing on something else? And even though I am weeping and this does hurt, where can I get full? Is there a place where I can eat? She sat there and she thought about it. She got up. She waited until everybody else ate. When they had finished eating and drinking, this is what the Bible says. Hannah arose and she went somewhere to pray to God. And she was in deep bitterness. It says that her soul was bitter. And she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget me, but will give me a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And the Bible says, and it happened as she continued praying for before the Lord that Eli which was the priest at the time. He was right there at the doorpost watching her pray that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Mm. 
Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. <laughs> then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. <laughs> I feel like there are so many words in those verses right there. There are so many words in those verses. The devil provokes us, just like uh, Penina was provoking Hannah. He provokes us right before we try to come to God. And because of that, we weep and we don't eat. We do not take in the blessings, the favor, the grace that he has for us. We lose our appetite for God because hardship, it tastes bitter. We know that God is the source of our strength, but it's difficult to believe that in hard moments. And it wasn't until after Hannah finished eating and drinking that she gained enough strength to arise. After she poured out her soul before the Lord, he fulfilled her in ways that no one else could, not even her own husband. See, it's not until after you've intentionally sought God with your whole heart that you'll be full. Oh, my goodness. Believe what I'm telling you today. I'm not just saying this to make it sound good, baby. Like this is something I have personally experienced and I continue to personally experience this. This wasn't a one time thing for me and I went my way and now I'm good for life. Mm -mm. I have to continuously remember that pouring out my soul to God in difficult times he is the only one who can fulfill that need, that that crushing on the inside of me. He's the only one who can repair my strength. Hannah spoke to the Lord in her heart of sorrow. Eli thought she was drunk. See, sometimes you might be the one in the room full of people where you just start crying and praising God because he's doing something different on the inside of you. And people might think you crazy. People might mistake you for being drunk and out of your mind, right? They don't know what you've been through. They don't know what, you were, what you're going through at the moment. They don't know how your very strength is depending on worshiping the Lord. So don't even feel a certain type of way if people look at you stupid. Because you were called to be different. You were called to have an entirely different spirit, right? Than everybody else. So Eli thought she was drunk. Hannah said, no, I'm just empty. <laughs> she said, I've poured out my soul before the Lord and I've spoken of my grief and complained about it until right now. Because this day, I sense a change. I've been coming up here year after year looking for something to fulfill my appetite. And finally, I have found it. The Lord has quenched my thirst. He has fed my soul. So now I can stop complaining and I can finally eat what I came here for. 
and be about my way in peace. And see, that is it right there, y'all. If you come into the presence of God and you are not leaving his presence in peace, then did you really seek him? Because he's the Prince of Peace. He's the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest. Was your prayer time with the Lord actually successful? The one question that you should be asking yourself when you leave the presence of the Lord is, do I feel at peace? Do I have a peace about it? Or am I still discombobulated? See, prayer is supposed to give you peace. Reading the Bible is supposed to give you peace and strength. The text says that Hannah went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad because she had eaten from the plate of God. Are you eating off of God's plate? What did you eat to feed your faith today? Or what will you eat to feed your faith today? Because here's the thing about food. When we eat food, the body breaks down carbohydrates into a sugar called glucose. And that glucose, via the help of insulin, is used as energy to get us through the day. So eating is not only good to us, but it's good for us. And when we eat, especially healthy and wholesome meals, we can conquer our day. When we skip meals, however, things go sideways. When you skip a meal, your blood sugar levels drop, so you feel different. You get lightheaded and may even get a headache. Your metabolism slows down, so you move different, which could even lead to you gaining unnecessary weight, or let's just say, you know, being unable to lose some weight because your metabolism isn't working fast enough to excrete waste. So then you end up gaining weight, even though you think you're supposed to be losing it, but it's because you ain't excreting nothing. You're holding on to a bunch of baggage. And then... What also happens when you miss a meal is that you miss out on vital nutrients that food provides. So you work different. You feel different. You move different and you work different. Your system gets out of whack when you skip meals. So if the lack of food does all of that and more to your physical body, imagine how your spirit, heart, mind, and soul feel when you don't check in with God and eat with him on a regular basis. Jesus says man cannot live off of bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Praying is your spiritual food. Studying the word is your food. Just like you always make sure to get three meals throughout the day, plus snacks and drinks to keep you full, You also have to make sure to eat off of God's plate and drink of his spirit throughout the day. Listen, I have been through days where I didn't feel like praying or reading my Bible. And at the end of those days, I was not at peace. 
I had no strength. I was, uh, you might as well say, spiritually lightheaded. I mean, all of these things. And yes, you will face hardship probably on a daily basis. You know, everybody's life is different. There may be something wrong every single day. But see, God already knew that. And he's already even told you that. That just because he came back and died on the cross doesn't mean that life is just going to be easy peasy. He says, life is going to be hard. Life is going to be hard. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you that life ain't going to be hard. He said, it's going to be hard. But be of good cheer. Because I have overcome the world. God is with you. And if he has already overcome the world, he will help you overcome every single mishap along the way. As long as you check in with him on a regular basis. If you're not checking in with God, you can't get the strength of God. You can't have the peace of God. You can't have the rest of God. Jesus was God in man form. Literally the word incarnate. And he still made efforts multiple times a day to go into solitude and check in with God because he knew something that we fail to realize on a daily basis that we cannot live off of bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God he knew if he wasn't praying and if he wasn't meditating on scripture that he wouldn't have been effective to be able to carry out God's will. He wouldn't have been mentally stable to be a leader, starting with 12 disciples, but ending up with all of the nations knowing his name. None of this would have been possible if Jesus did not take time to check in with God. If you remember to eat physical food every day, you need to remember to eat spiritual food every day. And it's not, this is, this is not to sit here and force the Bible onto you or force God onto you. No, 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 no. My purpose in speaking this today is to remind you that this is where you get your power from. This is where you get your sustenance from. I know it sounds insane, especially if you're not someone who's used to praying or reading the Bible. It sounds pretty insane when you think about it. Like, oh, well, if I read the Bible and I, and I um, pray to God, then all of a sudden I will feel better. I know it sounds insane, but listen, there is supernatural power that you tap into when you eat from God. There is something that cannot be explained. I can't even explain to you how his word was able to heal me from seven years of depression where I actually wanted to commit suicide. I can't even explain that miracle to you. But all I know is that it was a miracle, but yet it was 
a realistic experience for me. No, I didn't need antidepressants or counseling. I didn't need it because God gave me all that I needed. His word, even when I pick up my Bible before I start reading, before I start studying, I pick up my Bible before I open it and kiss it (laughs) and thank him for it because it actually healed my soul. When I get done studying and I study for probably about most of the times it's like, you know, between 30 minutes to an hour of studying. I get done with that. I kiss it and then put it away. Thank you for your word, God. Because I'm telling you, there is a certain type of power in God's word. That anything else on this earth cannot give you. You were born to love on God. You were born to have a relationship with him. You were born to be hungry for something. So if you were made with the word and you're not eating the word, that means you're not tapping into your divine originality, into that power source that made you. So you're weak. You're not at peace. You're discombobulated. Praying to God and reading his word are the two things that will not only help you, but they will heal you. They will deliver you. They will redeem you. You can have any type of problem going on in your life. And I promise you there is a Bible scripture for that. I promise you there is. When I tell you the word is living and active and so relevant, it doesn't age. It doesn't change. It doesn't fade. When I tell you I know what that means, I have lived out the activating of his word in my own life. I couldn't sit here on this podcast right now and just be sitting here telling you lies about this. There is actual power in the presence of the Lord. Things are always going to be, there's al- it's always going to be something wrong, right? It's always going to be something. You have to find a source to be able to plug into that will empower you to get through every waking day of your life. Stay updated with him. Tell him what's going on. We're talking about intimate, intimate prayers. You don't have to sit here and know a bunch of vocab words to pray to God. He wants your nakedness. That's why Adam and Eve were created naked. He wants us to be so vulnerable with him. So vulnerable. You can come to the Lord and say one sentence, and as long as you have poured out your heart, that was good enough. As long as you're pouring out your soul like Hannah did, then you're doing the right thing. And so if we're going back to the story of Hannah, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20, it says, So it came to pass in the process of time, that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel. And see, many times you pray and God may not answer your prayers instantly. Many times prophetic words spoken over your life are not activated instantly. It takes time. 
It takes a processing of events, character development, heart healing, wisdom injection, initiated rest, especially the stuff that don't feel good, (laughs) all of the bad times, the cleaning, the purifying, the crushing, the pruning for the prayer or prophetic word to end up on your lap. But let me tell you something. The process, the silence, the rest, the mindfulness is your reward. That's the stuff that changes you. That's what transforms you. That's what develops you. That's what pulls you into the spirit of the Lord. The Bible says it came to pass in the process of time. As Hannah committed to trusting God, that she finally conceived. And she became a fantastic model of leadership, obedience, and commitment. Because Hannah had faith in a time where Israel was in the worst condition, you know, it could ever be in. Israel was at its lowest. And so trusting God and having faith wasn't really a main national concern at the time. They were really bad at trusting God. They wouldn't listen to the Lord. They were disobeying him. And so for Hannah to have this much faith. And she had her child. His name was Samuel. And Samuel actually grew up to be extremely prophetic. He was the very last judge. And he was the first to anoint the first two kings of Israel. And it was because of Hannah's faith and her commitment to God that even Samuel was able to grab onto that same faith and actually start healing the nation of Israel. He helped Israel turn back to the Lord's ways because he learned it from his mother. So you might as well say Hannah had national transforming faith. She had generational faith. Something that kept getting passed down because she decided to trust and obey God, even in the processing of time, even in the wilderness. See, you got to be careful when God sends you through the wilderness. Remember to trust and obey. Remember to keep your faith. Jeremiah 15 and 16 says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy. And my heart's delight. When God's words come, we are supposed to eat them. Just like the parable of the sower. See, when you eat, your mouth pushes the food in your throat. And as you swallow, there's a small flap of tissue called the epiglottis that folds over your windpipe to prevent choking. Well, if you look at the parable of the sower in Mark 4, verse 7, It says other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant so that it did not bear grain. Some people are like seed sown among the thorns where they hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Make sure that you have your spiritual epiglottis intact. So that the word that God is planting in you, you do not choke on. 
That means don't allow the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, or the desire for other things to distract you from staying in the presence of God. Keep the faith. Have generational, national, transformational faith like Hannah. And the other thing that happens when we eat is the moment that we successfully swallow, the brain signals peristalsis to begin, which is the process of moving the food throughout the digestive system. And once it reaches the end of the esophagus, there is a ring-like muscle called the lower esophageal sphincter that relaxes to let the food pass into the stomach. And then it does its best to stay closed to keep the food in your stomach from flowing back into the esophagus. And so if we go back to Mark chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Some are like seed among rocky places. They hear the word, they taste it with joy. But since they have no root or esophageal sphincter, we could say, they last only a short time. And so when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they get heartburn and they vomit up the word that was sown and quickly fall away from glory. Obviously, I was paraphrasing and throwing um, a bit of my research in, in there. But the point of the matter is you have to understand as well that when God gives you a word, whether this is prophetic or whether this is something that, you know, you've just you just read a passage in the Bible and you feel as though God is speaking to you and it's really healing your heart at the moment. When you hear anything joyful come to you, you have to understand that you will face trouble because of the word. Because just like you heard it, the devil heard it, too. Also, because you have to know how to be able to handle the word. So God will allow the trouble anyway. Sometimes you will go into seasons of wilderness because of the word God is planting in you. And see, in Numbers chapter 14, God sent out spies to spy the land of Canaan because he was getting ready to give the children of Israel a new land flowing with milk and honey while they were in the wilderness, right? So Moses, you know, sent them out from the wilderness and God specifically said, I am giving you the land. But because they were so blinded by how big the giants were in that land, how defensive they were, how they had, you know, the army set up, they looked at themselves as grasshoppers compared to them because the giants were too big. So they were afraid to even step into the new land that God was saying that he was going to give them anyway. So they disobeyed God by not stepping out of their comfort zone. They said, well, it was better if we would have just died in um, back in Egypt or it would just be better if we just stay here in the wilderness. But here's the thing. Here's the definition of wilderness. Wilderness is an uncultivated, uninhabited, an inhospitable region. So a cultivated land means a land that has been cleared of its natural vegetation and is presently planted with crop. But if wilderness, if the definition for wilderness is an uncultivated region, uncultivated land is land that is not refined for growing crop. So by definition, when you are in seasons of the wilderness, 
You are not programmed to remain there forever because it is impossible for you to plant anything there. It's uncultivated. Things cannot be planted there. Wilderness also means it's uninhabitable, which means it's a place that is unsuitable for living in. So listen to me when I tell you your trouble that you're facing right now. This transitional period that you're in is not going to last. God is going to evict you from this land of wilderness because by definition, it is unsuitable for a person to live in. That is so good. And then the other, the, the last part of the definition of wilderness is that it is inhospitable, which means it's a harsh environment. It's uninviting, unwelcoming. It's lonely, it's empty, it's barren, it's antisocial. So you may even be changing your circle of or, or friends around this time or just pulling back from people because God is pulling you closer to him and taking you through an intense process. And now it gets cold in the wilderness and it's a remote location off grid. And you're definitely going to be hungry, right? <laughs> just imagine being in an actual wilderness. You're going to need some food. So going back to our question today. Even when you're in seasons of wilderness, what are you eating? It may feel like you're in hospice, inhospitable and in hospice, like you're about to die because the wilderness can get that bad. But what are you eating? So the wilderness is an uncultivated, uninhabited and inhospitable region. And another definition of inhospitable is a person who is not ready or willing to accept or consider something. Someone who is closed to new ideas. So you can plainly see why God would even allow the wilderness in the first place. He brings us here to open our perception, to break off our old man, our old worn out traditions our limitations on our capabilities, our limitations on God's supreme authority and power. He brings us here to be reinvented, to start over, to start fresh, but start it the right way, to do things efficiently, to learn how to trust and obey, to learn how to honor and admire him, the person of who God is, to grow in intimacy with Christ, the wilderness is a deep, profound experience to learn what it means when God says he is with you. Because you don't truly know that he is until you reach an island of loneliness and despair. So these Israelites, God has said, I'm giving you this land. And they were in the wilderness as God was telling them this. So you have to be careful that you don't bring your wilderness way of thinking into the land that God has said is flowing with milk and honey that he's getting ready to give you. The blessings, the favor that he has for you. Be careful that you're not going to think like the Israelites and say, well, I see myself as a grasshopper compared to them. Be careful not to disqualify yourself when God has already qualified you to possess the land you've had your eye on. The blessings that you have sought God for. Don't judge by appearances. Don't judge by influence or wealth. You have the wrong scale out. See, I challenge you to see what God sees in you. 
Know your value. You need to sit down and write out a list of everything you bring to the table. That's great advice right there. I want you to sit down tonight and write out everything that you're good at. Everything that you find valuable about yourself. Know who you are and why in the world God has placed you where he's got you. Yes, there may be giants in the land flowing with milk and honey. There may be important people with tons of influence and experience more than you. But you have a God working on the inside who is also flowing with milk and honey, who has already told you that the land is yours. So it is what it is. All you got to do is hold fast to that word. All you have to do is keep eating and trusting him. And that may be difficult to do, but what makes trusting God a little bit easier is finding ways to obey him. Don't desire to return to an expired phase of your life. Don't have strides where you're getting closer to God and then you just decide, well, you know, this is getting to be too hard because, you know, trouble is still coming. So I just kind of want to do what I what I used to do. Don't give into that temptation. Don't be so stricken by fear like the Israelites that they desire death over grace. That they would rather stay in the wilderness than possess the land that God said he would give them. Don't let the fear of getting out of your comfort zone hinder the gifts God is willingly trying to give you. Be like Caleb. The Lord said, my servant Caleb is a whole other breed. He has a different spirit in him and he has followed me fully. Because Caleb was one of the spies from the tribe of Judah who said, come on, y'all, let's go out and get this land. We are well able to overcome it. They said they wasn't bigger than than a grasshopper. Caleb said we are well able to overcome it. And so Caleb and Joshua were the ones that didn't rebel against God and they didn't fear the people. And because of that, they were able to possess the promised land. When God says, go, go. When he says, I'll be with you, that's exactly what he means. But when you reject him and you refuse to eat, you reject his help. You're rejecting strength and grace and truth. Peace. When you reject God. What would be the best thing for you to work on right now is increasing your faith by making sure to include prayer and studying the word on a regular basis. Find things that stick out to you. Keep them close to your heart. Write down what you feel like God is saying to you in this time. And meditate on that. Remember that. Bring it to your conscious thoughts. Don't have God in the unconscious part of your brain, your subconscious part of your brain. Have him at the forefront. Let him be on your mind. This will be so empowering for you. Your situation may or may not change. But what's most important is that you are the one who is changing. You are the one who is transforming.
The Bible doesn't say, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but let your life situations be transformed. It says, you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this wilderness, the season of wilderness that you may be in right now, is to change you. It's to show you that he's with you. And you would never know that if you weren't going through what you were going through right now. And it's going to be a type of faith that's going to send you into that next season of joy, wealth, health, mental stability. And you won't be the same. And because you won't be the same, your life will never be the same either. Because you will have a different perception, a different set of beliefs. You will have another type of confidence working on the inside of you. You're going to start hearing yourself say things like, well, if I've been through this, I know I can get through that. Because God is with me and he didn't leave me there. He ain't going to leave me now. That's what we're looking to say. We want our children to hear us say stuff like that. We want our children to see us live out trusting God. You're not just doing it for you. You're doing it for your children, for your children's children. You're doing it for the people that you are attached to, the people that you are around. There are people watching you and you holding on to the faith and obeying God's word. is going to transform not just your life, but every life around you. Have transformational, life-changing faith. Eat off of God's plate. Because at the end of the day, God is going to ask you, what did you eat today? Did you eat my word? Did you read a passage to help you get through the trouble that you're facing right now? Did you open your heart up to me and tell me how you're feeling so I can comfort you? Are you leaning on me in the wilderness or are you numbing your pain with resources outside of the source? What did you eat today, my child? We need God just as much as we need food. And if we think about it that way, (laughs) ain't nobody going to be able to tell us nothing. The enemy ain't going to be able to provoke us because we're going to know our truth. We're going to live out that truth and have a personal experience with it. So give God a shot. Take him up on his word. Let him prove to you how transformational his word is. And I just want to end this off with a prayer. I really hope this wasn't a long episode. (laughs) I'm going to try to um, get it down as much as I can. Um, So let's pray. Father, thank you for asking us an important question today. What did we eat to feed our faith on this day? Father, we ask that you ask us that every single day so that you can remind us to lean on you and not on our own understanding. We understand that eating off of your plate means that we are eating grace, truth, peace, rest, and strength. We understand that life is difficult, but we also know that we have a being living on the inside of us who is flowing with milk and honey. And as we eat the fruit of your land, God, 
we will be satiated. We will have a spiritual digestive system like no other. Where as we eat the word, our epiglottis will stay closed. We will not choke on the word. Our lower esophageal sphincter will stay closed. We will not vomit the word. But we will allow it to digest. And we will take that and transform our minds, thereby transforming our lives and the lives around us. Help us to have transformational, generational, national faith, God, where nations will be changed by our faith, where we will be that 1% who holds on to the promises of God and nothing can thwart us away from trusting in you. Help us to learn how to honor you, obey you, and revere you deeper than we ever have before. In your name we pray, God. Amen. I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I really hope you got something useful out of that. And if so, make sure to click the link in the description of the episode below the title to check out our merch, my book, and the link to review the podcast. And by the way, when you click on that link, you will also see my IG. Make sure you're following me on there because I often make stories and reels throughout the week that are both inspirational and informative. So if I ever need to keep you updated on the podcast or just my life in general, IG is where I do that. And I even post the fam on there sometimes as well. So go ahead and follow me there. It's been so great talking to you. Always a fantastic time being on the podcast. This is my baby and I love it. I love you and I will be back on Sunday for seven minutes in heaven. But until then, stay ready.